You're listening to the Dan Grosser Show podcast on 98.7 ESPN. We bring on our pal. He, of course, the former general manager of the New York Mets. Now you hear him on MLB Network Radio. You see him on SNY. It's Jim Duquette. Jim, thanks for joining me. How are you? What's going on, Dan? How are you tonight? Oh, no complaints whatsoever, my friend. lot to get to. Before we get to the locals, I don't think we've spoken about this whole Freddie Freeman thing over the last couple of days, which continues to take these weird twists and turns. And today we find out that uh, Freddie was never told by his agent that the Braves offer during the winter was indeed the final offer, and he only found out about it this weekend when he went back to Atlanta. What's your sense of just this whole circus between Freddie, the Braves, the Dodgers, the emotions? What do you make of this? Yeah, it's complicated, right? I mean, the the emotional part is real. Like, that part with Freddie, I'm uh, surprised that he's been that emotional. Like, he was really attached, obviously, to Atlanta, and I think this is one of those cases where uh, he didn't always feel like the grass was greener on the other side. He wanted to stay at Bray. Like he, it sounded like he might have even given instructions to his agent to – you know, keep pushing the deal, but get, you know, get the best, the most money, but I want to stay a brave. Like there's certain instructions that you give, you know, some players do give, give the agent. And then, you know, the guy like Casey Close, Excel Sport, he's very experienced, very good. I mean, he's had, he's negotiated huge deals. He had Derek Jeter for his entire career, among other greats uh, out there. So he's got Clayton Kershaw. So he's done a tremendous, tremendous job. Sometimes, you know, with, with uh, the break that we had with the CBA discussions, it was a very choppy winter. Um, I think that, you know, in the desire to push the envelope and get, a, you know, a higher price tag, I don't know, man, you know, I find it surprising that they didn't communicate, you know, the final offers from Atlanta. Maybe there's a misunderstanding there. Um, you know, there's a lot of details that we don't quite know, but I think what struck me more than anything, Dan, was how much, how upset he was coming back as a Dodger yeah. into Atlanta. Like, here he is in a Dodger uni and just bawling his eyes out, missing his old teammates, his friends, his, like all these people that he was missing. So uh, it was it was raw emotion that you rarely see in sports. I, I kind of loved, loved it to some degree, but also go, man, you should have been able to put this behind you a long time ago. No doubt about that. And then also the part of it from the Dodgers standpoint, like, you know, everybody knows what Kershaw said and he kind of, you know, hey, maybe, you know, he'll realize our team is pretty special too. Kind of like a, a backhanded dig a little bit, but that's got to be awkward, right. right? You're wearing the Dodger uniform and you're seeing a guy who's wearing the same uniform as yours, but it's obvious to everybody. He kind of still wishes he was playing for the other team. Yeah, no one, no one likes to settle for what, you know, seconds. Right. If right. if you weren't the first one to go to the dance and all of a sudden you find out, well, geez, you already asked, you know, this other person and they said no. So now all of a sudden now I feel like, you know, we're not good enough. We're not worthy enough, which, of course, the Dodgers are. I mean, they've been one of the most iconic franchises. But, you know, I think it's more personal, obviously, than Clayton Kershaw's giving Freddie Cre- uh, credence for. And, and it's like, all right, you know, I mean, Clayton, we, he might have been able to handle it on a more business-like way. Freddie was much more attached, obviously, to it. Um, and I think that's the, the aspect of it. I understand where Dodger players would say, geez, is this guy not not on board with us in, in the transition? I mean, what in God's name is going on here? Uh, but I think this is more of a, 
hey, this is a, a, a cleansing, so to speak, where Freddie Freeman can maybe, maybe um, turn the page from this point forward. I think part of turning the page might be, you know, changing agents and moving forward on that front, too. No doubt about it. We're talking with Jim Duquette here on 98.7 ESPN. All right, the Mets. Thank goodness they don't have to see the Astros anymore till maybe October because they didn't have wow. any answers for them, whether it was here, whether it was in Houston. Um, first time they've lost three games in a row all season long. What's the panic level, if any? Do you think that maybe this exposed some flaws that the Mets have during this stretch against, you know, winning competition over the last few weeks? Or do you think it's take a step back, relax, they're fine? Well, I, I think there's a couple of things. I, I don't think there's any major flaws with the group. You know, we know where some of the flaws are based off of injury. Uh, certainly on the starting pitching, which I've been pounding the drums since Scherzer got hurt. Like, they, you know, they don't they don't have the same type of quality. That's obvious. But you felt like, okay, well, maybe they, with Bassett and Carrasco and Walker, you know, that'll be enough and David Peterson. It's not. All right? It's not. We, yeah. We've been saying this. It's not. Um, and I think what, what really stood out is, all right, you're going to be judged on how you handle top-line pitching in the postseason. And I think that the offense got exposed a little bit in this particular series, facing off against Valdez and Verlander, who are two of the top in the sport, uh, lefty and righty. Uh, and they, you know, they, didn't, they didn't perform. The offense didn't perform. Now, it can go through phases. But I don't think they have enough power to their lineup. Um, and so I think they can address it that a little easier. And I also think if you're going to use Edwin Diaz in the eighth inning like Buck did today, and I think that was a good move, then you better have confidence in somebody to come in and pitch the ninth if you're not going to let them pitch the ninth. And Adovino didn't get it done. Drew Smith didn't get it done. Buck maybe doesn't feel like Seth Lugo's the answer. So if I'm Billy Epler, the GM, I'm looking at this going, okay, I need a Ian Kennedy or somebody that has closer experience that can come in in the ninth and close out a game if Edwin Diaz is only pitching the eighth in that particular night. I'm just saying to get to the postseason. Because the regulars, uh, if it's postseason, Edwin Diaz pitches the ninth. It, there's no and the eighth, like, right. like you know, today, like, like it presented itself. So I'm just talking about the regular season. I'm going out and I'm finding a guy to pitch, you know, in the rare occasion that Diaz comes out like he did, he did it. You now he's done it twice. No, three times he's done it. Right? He did it. Um, I, I know he did it in Anaheim. I know he did it today. And there's one other one other time I can't remember where where it was, but he's done it three times so far. Dodgers, maybe Dodgers. So that's that's how I think that it'll play itself out here over the next couple of weeks as we approach the trade deadline. Yeah, and, and I and look, I'm not going to sit here and take shots at Buck because he's been outstanding. The Mets aren't in first place without him. He's been the most important acquisition for this team. Period. And, and, and you know, obviously, you Definitely. trust his judgment. He knows the team better than anybody. But you know, the fact that this team had an off day on Monday, the fact that this team has an off day tomorrow. I mean, really, was it the whole Jeremy Pena, Jordan Alvarez collision and the delay that held the game up for 15 minutes or whatever it was? That's the reason why you didn't want to run Diaz back out there for the ninth inning? I wasn't necessarily thinking that that was the cause. I, I thought it was more uh, he went to that spot, high leverage situation, 14, 15 pitches. I was listening to the Buck post game. He said, you know, he didn't have – as many days off leading into this, it maybe wasn't as what he thought was rested enough. I, for me, I thought it was a little bit of an overprotection. You had an off day coming up tomorrow. 
I thought it would have been a perfect time to do it. You know, let him pitch the ninth. Um, but, you know, in the same sense, I can appreciate Buck's protection of the bullpen at this point of the season. You should be able to come up with one other guy with, you know, the more of the bottom of the lineup there, you know, the Astros lineup. I mean, Jason Castro, that's who beat the Mets today. It is the first home run of the year. So, I can't. I, I. I don't. I don't follow him as much in that particular situation. I know there's a lot of second guessing on that part of it, but I think if we're, you know, if it's a must-win postseason, uh, he's handling Diaz differently. That gave me Connor Gillespie vibes from the wild card game in 2016. Uh, familiar. That's what. It, that's what. Tra- me. Or, or, yeah. Oh yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah, Gillespie for sure. Or Travis Ishikawa when when he did it for the Giants against. I don't know right. the Cardinals. I forget. But anyway, it's. Yeah, I. I hear you. What do you think about the fact that this team all of a sudden, and I know it's the Astros the couple of days, but Sunday we saw it. Now all of a sudden they've gone cold runners in scoring position. You know, they were one for 13 on Sunday, and that was against the Marlins, not Hall of Famers like you face today in Verlander. Do you think this team could benefit from bringing in another bat? And I'm looking at one spot in particular, you know, with Escobar, who's kind of slumping a little bit over there at third base. McNeil's healthy. How do you take Luis Guillorme out of this lineup, Jim? He's hitting. He catches everything that's hit to him. I, I mean, that's yeah. a guy that you've got to continue to run out there. Well, there's a couple of things. Escobar is not delivered yet. I think he will. I, th- you know, I think he has a clear track record, but his lack of production has exposed – he's exposed uh, a little bit of a weakness with the Mets lineup right now, and that is – uh, more left-handed power or the ability, you know, because the, the, the beauty and the depth of, or the, or the reason why the offense is so good is because of the depth of the lineup. Um, and, and, you know, Alonzo, as we've seen, is the main power threat. But, I mean, then doors driven and runs. We've seen a lot of, of, of good things out of this lineup. But it's lacking, a, you know, and they occasionally, as we've seen, they'll go into these little funks. And so it would be nice to have a power threat of some kind that when that offense is going through the, the 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 funk that it's in right now, that you have the ability to hit a you know a two run or three run homer, and that's your that's your offense for the day, and you got enough pitching. They don't have that yet. They don't have it right now. And I think that's if I'm looking at this, you know, it, from the lens of a general manager, I think that's where they're lacking the most. Jim Duquette joining us at 98.7. Let's flip over to the Yankees right now. This is, you know, we're going to try to, like, find a pimple on the Mona Lisa here when trying to find something wrong with the Yankees. So let me, let me start yeah. with this potentially. Um, maybe yeah. that starting pitching from top to bottom, which has been as good as anybody in baseball, taken me by surprise and really has been leading this charge this year. But you've seen some slip-ups from Nestor Cortez, Tyone scuffling now today. Uh, Montgomery got mm-hmm. hit around a little bit. Do you think that this starting pitching is still in good enough shape moving forward, or should Brian Cashman go out and bring in another arm thinking big picture-wise? I think they need another one. I've been saying this for the last couple of weeks. The reason why I think that is Cortez, even if he was to pitch, you know, he, he's in a funk over his last, keep using that word, but he, he's been struggling the last three starts. And I think the league's starting to catch up to him a little bit. And I think he's also going to run out of innings uh, where, you know, fatigue's going to be a factor. And Tyone's been, uh, you know, been really good, but I think there's some in- inconsistency still there in his, in his um, starts. And same thing with Montgomery. And I look at it from the viewpoint of the postseason, and I think Cole, for sure, 
You can get by. If Severino's pitching the way he's capable, okay, I like that. Who's going to be the number three? I don't want it to be a toss-up. I don't want it to be a question mark. I don't want it to be a fight. I want certainty. I'm going to the World Series if I'm the Yankees. So I want to go get Frankie Montez. Now, I don't think they're going to do that, but I think that's what they need to do. The judge factor. Now everybody's, you know, talking about history. He's got a chance to maybe hit more than 61 home runs, which we know for the Yankees specifically how important a number that would be here. However, you know, we live in a different era right now where load management is a thing, and it's not about going out there and playing every day. And the Yankees' sole purpose is winning a championship, not individual records. You think Judge will even have a shot at eclipsing that 61, or are the other factors you think going to get in the way? Well, I, I think he has an absolute shot at it. And, I mean, I think it'd be great for baseball to have that uh, march, uh, you know, and, and bring outside interest to, you know, to even the casual fan, you know. And I think I feel like the sport in some ways is looking for something like this um, to generate a little more interest over the summer. We've had some exciting things, but I think that would be – Certainly exciting, you know, for, for you know, and a high-profile guy going into free agency, what, what judges, um, you know, just his sheer presence, all of it. Um, do I think he can do it? I, I think he can. I, I think you're going to, you know, always worry about the injury factor and, you know, uh, Booney's going to give him the necessary rest that he needs. But I think it's the, the, the way he looks now, the locked in, delivering confidence, it's at an all-time high. It's always one of those with him that it's all about whether he can stay healthy. That's always been that case with him. So, you know, provided he can do that, um, I think we're in for a really fun run here towards the, the latter part of this summer. All right, let me end on this then. Let's fast forward to November, December. And I don't know how many people you've had a chance to talk to, maybe kind of just nosing about to see what the future you know has in store, but – how likely do you think the scenario would be that maybe he's playing for another team next year, or do you think there's no way the Yankees let them out of their let him out of their sights? Well, to go back to our earlier conversation, there was there was very little chance that I thought Freddie Freeman would not be playing for the Atlanta Braves in 2022, <laughs> and that and that just happened. So, do I think that Eric Judge playing in a different uniform is a possibility, a, a good possibility? I don't know about that, but I do think it's uh, better than a you know a ten or fifteen or even twenty percent chance. And I it, really, it's about paying him. You know, he's rolled the dice, and he and now is going to get paid something that takes a lot of nerve to go ahead and do, and that's turn down a ton of money from one of the most iconic franchises in baseball. You know, and, and so what was it two seventeen, whatever that number was. He's going to be well north of that. I still find it hard to believe that the Yankees are going to show restraint in that area. Um, maybe they don't pay him 300 and I think if Aaron Judge really looks at it, it's a perfect fit for him, too. Maybe he pushes the envelope. But I think there's a suitor out there. Maybe it's the Giants. Maybe it's the Mets. I'd love to see the Red Sox do it, although they probably won't. But I think there's a suitor out there that would pay Judge $300 million. I don't, I don't like that as a contract for him, but I think that there is someone out there that could do it. Yeah, that won't be too much fun if you get the Red Sox and Mets in the bidding along with the Yankees for Aaron Judge in this neck of the woods. Yeah, I'm sure that'll go over well. I'm sure there's some level-headed conversations will emanate from that, right? 
Hey, we're in a different <laughs> mode now. We we do we do talk radio for a living. How how delicious would that be? Oh Nick? my gosh! You know what? I'll take it. I'll take it. Give us give us something to make that off season go a little bit faster, but juicier as well. Jim, thanks for a couple of oh minutes, my, my friend. As always, we'll uh, do it again soon, pal. Appreciate the minutes. All right, you got it, man. All right, anytime. See you. You're listening to the Dan Grasso Show podcast on ninety eight point seven ESPN.